straight after when the earthquake stopped, um, there was me and this other girl, we decided to run into the yoga room to go and get some mats and blankets because we didn't know what was going to happen after this. None of us had been in an earthquake before. And we ran into this building ever so quickly before the next aftershock came. And it wasn't until the end of the day when we went and inspected all the buildings, when we went to the other side of the building, the wall had broken away from the roof and it was on a slant five centimetres. That roof could have caved in any time. And I sat there and I thought, how many times in mining have we been told inspect first before you do? You know, we have these little booklets that we have to tick off our inspections, you know, take fives, um, good to goes, whatever we call them. Each mine site calls them something different. Hello and welcome to the Beers with a Miner podcast, episode number 15. This week is a happy hour episode. My name is Mad Mumsy and I've been driving the huge dump trucks in Australian open cut mines for over 10 years now. I wish I had a dollar for everyone who said to me, how does a little thing like you drive those big trucks? You must be rich. How do I get a job doing that? My mining friends are asked these questions all the time too. This is what started the Mad Mumsy journey to share stories and tips from living a mining lifestyle and to let others know what it's really like. Not everyone is cut out to be a miner, but why not? What does it take to thrive and survive in this industry? Now, let's dig in. Get it? Dig? Mining? (laughs) I crack me up. Today I chat with Lisa Mertzopoulos from Dump Truck Discovery. Lisa has been named in the 100 Global Inspirational Women in Mining and was a finalist in the CME Women in Resources Awards in 2013. She is also a mentor and inspiration for me, Mad Mumsy. I first came across Lisa a few years ago when I was looking into writing a book about getting a job in the mines. Lisa's book and website, Dump Truck Discovery showed up in my searches over and over again. I was disheartened at first, thinking, no, someone's beaten me to it, and in a much more thorough way than I'd ever considered. It did, however, change my path and the messages that Mad Mumsy now talks about with you. I reached out to Lisa saying how much I loved her book and all that she was doing for the mining industry. It was, in fact, Lisa who encouraged me to keep going. There's always room for more people to talk about our lifestyle, and a new friendship was born. You'll hear more of our story as this episode continues, but for now, I would like to say, hi, Lisa, and welcome to the Beers with a Miner podcast. Hi, Mad Mumsy. Great to be here. Yes, it's really, really good to have you here on uh, episode 15 it is Sunday afternoon here on a quite a cold Queensland afternoon, I must say. I cranked out the Milo and a piece of cake <laughs> earlier. I felt like I was in South Australia, very unwinter-like for us. What's the weather like where you are? Well, much the same. It's cold, wintry and raining. <laughs> I suppose it's winter, but, you know, here it's meant to be sunny and brisk in the morning and no rain. I've given our listeners a brief intro to you and to your brand. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Who is Lisa Mertzopoulos, the person? Wow. Lisa Mertzopoulos is a person that goes out and grabs whatever opportunities come in front of her. 
So when I left school, I wanted to travel. So the ideal job for me, I thought at the time, was to be a travel agent. And I travelled around the world for 11 years, exploring, discovering, entertaining, um, learning new languages, eating different kinds of foods. It was great. And then I came back to Perth eventually and met a girl who had um, been driving dump trucks up in the Pilbara. Um, small and petite, like, <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, how could she drive a dump truck? If she can, I can. So she planted the seed in my mind, and um, it took three years three years of applying and talking to people and going off traveling and coming back again and trying again. And I eventually got in. And my initial idea was just for a couple of years, save up a deposit to buy a house. <laughs> but I had no idea I was going to enjoy the mining industry that much. So 11 years later, I'm still in mining. 11 years. Yes. And you, that's good to hear that you've chosen to stay because you enjoy it, not because you needed to for the money, like so many people, I'm coming, I've, Mad Mumsy's spoken about that before, I'm going to do three years, save up money, buy a house and get out. And they're still there 20 years later, can't dare leave because they're in that much debt. So it's it's nice that you've um, stayed because you've chosen to and because you do enjoy the lifestyle and the industry. Yes. Um, it's interesting, but it does, it does change over time because initially it... Um, it was an exciting industry to be in. It was something completely different. I've gone from an office into working outdoors on a mine site. And so over the years, I learned a lot about mining and how to how a mine develops and even working in the office, what the engineers do, the geologists do, etc. But over time, things start to change. And, you know, now after 11 years, you know, the body's getting tired of doing 12-hour shifts and, being away from family and friends for so long. You know, in the beginning you could deal with it. Now it's like um, you're missing out on things all the time because you're on, on the mind site. And so you start to question yourself, is this still what you really want? And so then what happens is you end up staying because you've been earning all this money that to then find another job back in the city with the same money you can't find. So then you're in this little dilemma do I, how do I drop a salary? Am I going to be able to cope? You get so used to the salary from the mining industry that you don't want to give it up. And so that's when I start seeing people getting frustrated in their jobs. They're basically there for the money. And what happens with having a higher salary, you're able to um, borrow more money from the banks. And so people have overextended themselves and purchased housing that's probably out of their reach and then now they're forced to stay into mining in order to maintain the debt. Um, so I do question sometimes whether people are happy in the mining industry because really money is not the be-all, end-all. You've got to enjoy what you're doing. My, my biggest motto is if you're not happy what you're doing, then don't do it. So... Yes, I'm quite big with on dump truck discovery to tell people do it because you enjoy it and you want it and it's a passion. Don't do it for the money. That's a good message and that's a huge part of why I 
do the podcast and why I have the blog and because people think they get a job in the mines, get the big bucks, it's going to fix everything in their life. <laughs> but they don't realise how many other things that might bugger up you know, <laughs> because it's going to change so much in their life as well when they don't even don't even think about it. There's so many things, like even just rosters for being away. You, in our pre-chat there, you were saying you don't really enjoy two weeks on and one off anymore. You prefer the week on, week off. Is that still your preferred roster, one on one? Um, absolutely. If they ever bring in um, one week on, two weeks off, I'll take it in a second. That would be my most ideal. And obviously, we're getting the same salary. <laughs> obviously, yeah, that's right. Oh, I like that. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, but one and one is better for the body and the mind and family interactions. Yeah. I did two and one for seven years. Right. Yeah, by the seventh year, I had enough. Um, I was exhausted. Mm. Pete, that's another thing people don't realize how much it can take out of you and so when you did two and one did you do one week of nights and one week of days and then a week off yeah it was always the first week was days the second week was nights and then you had one week off so you're always coming home off night shift so mm. it takes about two to three days for your body to switch from night shift back to day shift mode so the first day, literally, you don't do anything at home. You're just a zombie <laughs> for the first two days. For the first day, I can't even drive a car. I'll have an accident. And then before you know it, you've just got your body back to normal and you have to fly back to work again. Yeah. You don't really have a full week to yourself at home. No, because you've got a couple of days of travel in there. Yeah. And also, like you say, they're getting over it. I always say to my daughter when I come home, anything that I achieve on this first day after night shift is a bonus. <laughs> so I pretty much, because I've always got, you know, lists and lists of 50 things I should be doing now that I'm back home. And I just let myself have that first day and anything I achieve is a good thing. And if I choose to achieve nothing in the end, well, that's okay. I was getting over night shift. But I was talking to a friend who just came back from... Hawaii and she'd never experienced uh, jet lag and neither have I. I haven't been overseas. I've been to Fraser Island and Magnetic Island <laughs> up past Townsville and it was her first time overseas and she said in Hawaii they just, it was crazy because they'd lost a day and all the things that you hear about and I've heard getting over night shift being described like getting over jet lag I know that you have travelled overseas. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think it's even worse than jet lag. Really? Yeah. Um, because your body, you've just conditioned your body to stay awake for seven nights in a row. Jet lag happens over a 12 to 24-hour period where you've got to now adjust the whole body of what it's been doing for the last seven days. So it does take a little bit longer, Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Jet jet lags just they've just lost one day or one night really, whereas we have totally uh turned our whole time clock around, especially doing seven full nights. At the moment I do five and five, so I do five days, five off, five nights. And you get in such a routine. 
But some of the rosters here, the lifestyle roster, they'll do two days. They always start on days and finish on nights. So they do two or three days on and then have a pyjama day and then do two or three nights. And then you're all over the place. I've done that roster as well. And you don't know what day it is because you just do a couple of days of days and then a couple couple of nights and then you're on break again. No? Yes. Um, I don't know why they came up with the idea of doing days first and then nights. I think some companies felt it was safer for them that we do the shift change at work and then come and do nights in the second week. But in saying that, just the other day when I was looking through jobs in SEEK for my um, Chuck Discovery tribe, I saw a company advertise a two-in-one roster where the first week is night shift and the second week is days. Oh. Very first time I've seen that in Australia. Yes, I don't I don't think I've seen that ever either. I wonder why they've changed that. It might be more to suit their travel arrangements or something, or maybe they're listening to us workers <laughs> finally. So the people can come home off a day shift and have a full seven days to themselves and mm. rest and interact with the family and because um, trying to adjust your body too, you can be be a little bit ratty at times with your family and friends because you're not all together there just yet (laughs) that's a nice way of putting it (laughs) ratty (laughs) I'm always asking my daughter what day it is what day is it again (laughs) especially because I do five and five so I could start on a Saturday you know I'm all over it keeps moving and oh no last week after night shift I looked at her and she said, you were going to ask me what day it was again, weren't you? Because I'd already asked her four times that day. I said, no, 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 I wasn't, <laughs> but I was. There's been many times I've woken up and I thought it was a Saturday and it's a Wednesday and <laughs> your, your brain totally gets confused. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's very common in probably anyone that does does shift work because let's face it, it's not just us in the mining industry. There's plenty of nurses and mm-hmm. all sorts of people that, that work shift work but um, I guess most of them get to come home each night which are not always I guess also a lot of those travel too but that's something else where people think oh dream job in the mines or they don't even think about things like like that so it's good that there's people who are starting to get the word out there and let people know what they're in for mm. um, before they even get into it you know really can can you do it yes um, and Is that- I do remember you writing a blog for my website too. Are you cut out to be a miner? Yes, I did. That's right. You were my first person who said yes to be a guest blogger. I was so excited. I was doing the running dance in my kitchen. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you, because I refer a lot of people to that blog. You know, when I can see that they're getting dazed by the money, I was like, well, first of all, let's see if you're going to enjoy the job too because um, I don't want people to become miserable and depressed all because of money. So, you know, I do refer them to that blog, so thank you for that. Oh, no, th- well, thank you again. But um, I actually spoke about that in, let me have a look which episode it was. Yeah. Um, episode four, Brain Dead Truckie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you head to madmumsy.com forward slash beers four, that's the number four, you can listen to that episode there where, um, yeah, I, I 
delve in a little bit deeper about things that you can do when you're out there so you don't have to become a brain dead truckie, (laughs) (laughs) which no one wants to be. (laughs) Yeah, because you can make good use of your time while you're out there uh, operating. Have you tended to do that, Lisa? Keep busy? Yes. I find most of my ideas download while I'm driving and it's because you free up your brain you've got no phones and no computers around you and your brain is just free to think and um, come up with all sorts of little ideas in my head Um, plans to how to improve the website um, plans for beyond mining um, fundraising like I did a calendar so all these ideas pop into my head while I'm driving so I make use of it But at the same time, you also have to remain focused because (laughs) an accident in a mine site can be quite dangerous. So do you write lists when you're at work, when you're out in your truck, Lisa? Yes, I keep a little notebook in my pocket. Um, I write down all my ideas and things I've got to do when I get home because I do tend to forget, especially after night shift. Um, I have a book by side, on my bedside table and in the kitchen. So I'm always writing. Actually, I've got my book of lists here right now, things that I meant to do this break, and I've only got through half of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing when you're at work, the possibilities of all the things you're going to do while you're on break and then you get home and you're, you're dreaming, really, that you were ever going to do all of those things. <laughs> I know. It's amazing because you have seven days off seven full days and you think wow I'll get a lot done and then you think by the end of the week where did all the time go I don't know how I would imagine imagine um, coping if I was actually back in a city job working Monday to Friday how would I get things done when I can't even get them done with seven days off <laughs> that's right but you'd be home every night that's true but you've still got to you know come home and cook tea and catch up with family and do the chores and be well rested and ready to go back in the morning yes yes so the most important to keep a list yes my trouble is as mad mumsy listeners know that I have too many bloody lists I've got (laughs) I've got I have to get a new book because that book's getting a bit untidy and messy so I go it can be a whole day event to sort all my lists out Lisa yes I've got I really do have issues. (laughs) I I started organising my lists. So I keep one list, put everything on one list, and I prioritise them. Mm -hmm. And then I allocate a number per day. So that way it doesn't seem like it's too big to get all accomplished. If I can get one or two done a day, and because every day I'm getting something accomplished, it motivates me for the next day to get the next two done. So I found I'm actually getting more done that way. Well, actually, funny you say that, just started implementing that last week. I bought another lovely new notebook. It's about A4 size. I'm like, oh, this one's pretty because they have so so many now that have inspirational covers on them. Yes. You know, oh, you can do anything, dream big and all these. Oh, I need that. I'm, I'm a bit of, I wouldn't say I'm addicted to stationery. <laughs> but, you know, I... I when I wasn't working there for a while and I just didn't have money to spend in the stationary aisle, I literally used to put my hand up next to my eyes when I was in Woolies and say, don't go down there, you don't need a new pen or a new notebook, <laughs> don't go into the stationary aisle. Um, but what I started doing was writing in this brand new lovely book a master list. 
So because I have Mad Mumsy, but I also do other things like I'm helping my mum with her art, uh, lynnolson.com if anyone's interested. Fantastic and art, setting up. By the way. Pardon? Fantastic art, by the way, too. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Oh, and so much of her stuff now that she's focusing on is the Great Barrier Reef and corals. Mm. Oh, and they're just so stunning. And so I've recorded basically a few online courses and we've set up a school at learn.lynolson.com where you can it, – it's as if you're doing a workshop with mum and I'm in the background and I'm asking her all the dumb questions because I don't know anything about art. But it's so many things that she doesn't even realise that someone who doesn't paint doesn't know. She just knows so much now about how she does it and I'm trying to get it on the record so it's been good. It's 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 been fun, but it's also another um, time-consuming thing when you've got all these other things going on, as well as every now and again I go, yeah, and I have to go to work too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and better step away from the device and go to sleep because you're getting up at four <laughs> thirty. <laughs> oh dear. So that might be a good way to bring up. Uh, you're a, also a trainer, I believe. How's it? How did your passion for training people in on site come about? Oh, I've always enjoyed training people. I can remember as a child um, teaching my sister how to memorise things for school and cousins and um, when I was a travel agent, I would train new starters on how to book travel. Um, so it's always been in my nature to help people. Uh, so in my first job as a dump truck driver, after nine months of driving, the supervisor, they obviously liked the way I drove because um, initially when I arrived, they thought, how can an office chick drive a truck? And I totally blew them away by getting passed out on truck. Well, that means being assessed competent to drive within three days. And, oh, go girl. <laughs> and that shut them up. And then nine yeah. months later... They asked me to be a trainer because they wanted everyone else to drive the same way as me. Fantastic. So, I, yeah, I, as soon as with my first trainee, I enjoyed it straight away. I get so much satisfaction. First of all, seeing the excitement in their faces and their eyes when they sit in the truck. It's <laughs> yeah. me my first day. I don't ever want to forget that. And Can you, sorry to interrupt, can you take us to that day? Can you share that with, with our listeners? That first day, uh, standing on the ground, and I looked up, and you know that was only a seven, a seven nine, no seven eight nine, a Caterpillar seven eight nine truck. So that's one of the mid range trucks, and I thought it was massive. Yeah. And I'm standing on the ground looking at it, going, "Oh my God, how am I going to drive that?" Then climbed up the ladder, sat in there, and I was so excited. Big smile on my face. Started the engine, and. Uh, when it started moving, I thought, I am born to drive a truck. <laughs> now, to this day, the trainer tells everybody that my I was holding onto the steering wheel so tight that my knuckles were white, and I don't believe him because I thought I was nice and relaxed. And he said, no, 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 you were holding on so tight. You were gripping that steering wheel. Um, but I don't remember that at all. I just remember the excitement of when the truck started moving and I'm six metres off the ground and I could see for miles and it was just awesome. Wow. 
Yeah, I remember my first day too. It was amazing. And my scariest time was when we backed up to the tip head to dump our load off and the tray went up because everything that's around you disappears when the tray goes up and it's so high in the air and everything. That I don't know why. That that was the scariest moment for me when I first went in a truck. I'm like, oh, no, it's got on. We've just sat here all on our own. <laughs> So a 789, what's the biggest truck that you've driven? Um, a Terex MT6300, so that carried 400 tonnes. And wow. at the time, that was the largest dump truck in the world. Yep. Um, since then, the Germans, um, Lieber, have come out with another bigger one. Um, so now I'm on a mission, I've got to drive that truck because I want to still be able to to say that I've driven the largest truck in the world. I've driven, yeah, I was a bit like that with the 797s. And then when I took my voluntary redundancy to get out of mining forever, and then <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm never going to drive a 797. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> and then I went back and um, I drive the 797s now. But they'd be, would they be a bit smaller than those? No, 797, ah. Oh. Probably on par, about similar. Um, yeah, not much difference. Yeah, because I've I've driven the Terex forty four hundreds. Yeah, um, but not. What did you say yours were? Sixty three hundred. Sixty three. No, I haven't driven those, but the seven nine sevens and and that Terex truck too. They they're just so much bigger. I look at a seven nine three now and go, oh, it's so cute and little. Whereas they, that's what I learnt in was a seven nine three, and they were massive. Yes. Yeah. So that's the second part of my um, of why I like training is because when I see the trainees get the enjoyment that they've achieved driving these massive machines competently because it brings me back to my time. And so, yeah, as you go up the bigger trucks, it's even more exciting. Yeah, you don't lose that excitement. No. Do you ever get sick of saying the same thing over and over again? No. Each person is quite different, actually. So your training, your training style has to change for each person because mm. we've got different levels of abilities and different learning abilities. So each each person you train is different for me. Yeah, I was a what they call an instructor or a content content uh, expert, mm-hmm. is it? Um, and then they changed all the rules, and we basically got sacked. We're not allowed to train anyone. Or we weren't. I'm like, oh, okay, that's quite good actually because we'd trained so many people. They hired heaps of uh, newbies, greenies, clean skins at this site that I was on and they didn't have enough trainers. So they basically said to us, you have to help us train them. <laughs> Who else is going to do it? And then we had big uh, rains so that held up the, the process. So there were people that were starting and the people that had already been there for two or three weeks hadn't hardly done anything because it had been raining. So we had 30 or 40 new people all that needed training at once. It was, But I found it inspiring and, like you're saying, it, it was awesome to see these people who'd never been in a truck and then get them to um, become good truckies and, and, you know, yeah, I trained her. And now there's a couple that are actually trainers themselves. Yeah. 
you know, I think, oh, that's my girl, <laughs> or a couple of guys, but mainly girls I seem to, I seem to have. And, um, yeah, you you spend a lot of time in the truck with them as well. I, I Only on one occasion I pulled up at the crib hut and said to the supervisor, I can't train this man, you have to get him out, someone else has to do it. Um, he ended up not getting through. He just had this attitude, you know, like he... He didn't want a, a woman telling him anything, let alone how to drive a truck. <laughs> and I've Sadly, had the opposite experience. I've had a female who would not take instruction from a male trainer. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we had really we had to put a female trainer with her. Yeah. Is that so? Why was that? Is that because he was a bit grumpy and pushy, and we're a bit nicer and more patient? Or She went through three male trainers, and she was the same with all of them. So she had an issue with males. So <laughs> boiled it down to it might have been a culture thing. Mm. Yeah, so. Personalities uh, clash. She didn't survive the training program either. So it goes to show that attitude does play a big part. It does. And some people are just there. They're like a sponge, and they just want to learn everything. Um, a bit like Karen, who I don't know if you've heard those interviews, Karen, in episode two and three. I'll leave the links in the show notes. By the way, the show notes for this episode will be madmumsy.com forward slash beers15. That's the number 15. Uh, Karen, what's the right word? Attributes a lot of her passion to becoming a dump truck operator to you. She talks about you a lot in those two episodes and your book and how inspirational you were and she eventually went from being a cleaner to a dump truck operator and I recorded her journey. We sat down and chatted about it and tell me and cracked a beer when she got her job and then cracked another beer when she'd driven her first truck and how excited she was. So, And she's in her 50s and she tried for six years to get a job well you were trying for three was it you said Lisa for three years yeah yeah it's um it's a lot harder nowadays the mining downturn is all you ever hear about at the moment as I record this it's 2016 middle of 2016 um but there are still some people hiring hiring greenies or uh, new people traineeships are you seeing many of those where you are Yes, I have seen a lot lately in the last two months. I've been posting them up on the Facebook page, the Dump Truck Discovery Facebook page. Where, yes, I have seen quite a few. I've probably advertised six or seven in the last two months. So a lot of people have left the industry. I'm also noticing that mining companies, and this might sound bad, but mining companies are looking to hire trainees because they are cheaper to begin with. Especially mm. when we're in an economic downturn, companies will look at ways to reduce costs. And unfortunately, new people and casuals are one way of uh, reducing costs for a mining company. They are, and that's a huge thing over here in Queensland at the moment. Um, I don't know if we mentioned at the start that you're actually over in Western Australia. Yes, born and bred in WA, so I've worked on four mine sites in Western Australia, out in the gold fields, up in the Pilbara, and now south of Perth, so all over the state. All over, and that's why a lot over in Western Australia are more FIFO jobs, aren't they? Fly in, fly out, because it's just too far to drive, more so than here in Queensland, there's 
we had a big uh, inquiry into FIFO jobs because they were having FIFO. And I, Mad Mumsy has spoken about this before, so I won't go on a rant. But um, FIFO jobs, when there's people in the town who couldn't get a job there, who were looking experienced and looking to work in these new mines, but you had to move to Brisbane or Cairns to get a job five minutes away from your house. But in Perth, it's a bit different because so many of the mines are isolated. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, we don't have any mines that are close by to Perth. Um, basically, you can divide the state into half. So from Perth and the gold fields below, all those mine sites are drive-in, drive-out. So Kalgoorlie, Coolgardie, you know, they're all drive-in, drive-out. You know, it's probably 40, 50 mines out that way. Oh, okay. But then when you go north of Perth, so say from Geraldton upwards, and that's including the Pilbara, they're all in um, remote areas, not near a town. So majority of those are going to be um, FIFO, whether it be from Perth, from Geraldton, from Carnarvon. They've picked certain towns along the coast to fly to the Pilbara. All right. So that, that ex- explains why. I, I never realised that the southern part of it is more drive-in, drive-out. Yeah. Do they, do they still have the same sort of rosters then if it's drive-in, drive-out? Um, majority of the rosters are two and one. Oh, righto. Yeah. Well, then when you've got the, the, the drive-in, drive-outs, that's when the rosters change, where you can get the seven and seven or what we call five and two, so five days on, two days off, which is your basic working week, things like that. They can, they can be a bit more... Uh, creative in their roster yeah we call five and two a real job (laughs) 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 oh dear so um well i'll just change tack a little bit here lisa you mentioned earlier your calendar yeah can you talk to us about that i have it by the way and i love it great (laughs) yeah that was an idea that just dropped into my head one day um, where I wanted to raise money. I was already working with a charity here in Perth where I provided some quotes for a diary that this charity wanted to make last, not last year, the year before, um, to sell to make money for their programs that they have for helping um, disadvantaged women. And then I got enjoyment out of that Um helping with that charity that I decided I wanted to do extra for them and I came up with the idea of a calendar of a female dump truck drivers and on each page I've given some pointers, some inspiration of how to get into mining, that it's not just a male job. Women can do the job as well as we've shown. Um, so I had so much enjoyment with that um, <laughs> calendar I was so fortunate that one of the truck drivers where I work, he was a professional photographer. So he did all the photography. Uh, We also flew up to a mine site, um, up to FMG, and um, one of the mine managers there, she's very proactive. She's very well known, Julie Shuttleworth, probably one of my inspirations that I follow in mining. Um, arranged for us to take some photos up at FMG as well. And so she supported the program as well. And um, we raised some money um, for the programs that they have for women who might be in disadvantaged situations like in abusive relationships or um, homeless and just giving them, 
giving them the knowledge and the confidence that you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. That's right. And it's how good is it that uh, Julie, Julie was it? Julie Shuttleworth yeah. has supported you and given you permission to take the photos on site because I know that that is not an easy thing. I've been trying since August last year to have a photo in front of a 797. Yes. <laughs> Ridiculous. I gave up. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mining, I don't know what mining companies are trying to hide. There's not. It's just a big open pit. Um, but, yeah, I tried um, five different mining companies and only two gave me a positive response. So, yeah. Is that right? Oh, that's that's really sad to hear. Really. Well, it it's great that two gave you positive yeah. response and have helped you out. But you know, the especially the big companies, they really um, have all these signs up and promote. Oh, we're here to help the community, and you know, we'll match you and all, all these sorts of things. And but then when it comes time, you know, we're doing something good here. Yeah. Can you help us out? Can you support it? Mm. Silence, crickets. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be like that. But again, Mad Mumsy's not going to rant too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all these women that you photographed was a good coverage of different people. I noticed. Yes. From different walks of life. Yeah, they all came from different walks of life and they all entered the mining in a different way. And even their motivation to get into mining was all different. Yeah, so that was that was very inspiring to um to see that. It was. I I really enjoyed uh reading their stories and, and to see and I know I've met plenty of women and even the blokes, you know, it's not just about women but so many people around here we get a lot of cane farmers that are working out there so they'll work driving their machines and then they'll come home and they're off working their cane farm as well there's all sorts of people out there old people young people people who've been there forever people who just got there people who you know all sorts but one of the big things that I heard even before I started really was that the mining companies like women as operators have you have you come across that yes yeah yeah what are your thoughts on that lisa they do even my current superintendent he only wants to employ female truck drivers um why (laughs) i don't know i think we're more patient you know we don't need to hoon around the mine site you know we're more patient and gentle with the machines uh, more safe that would mean to a mining company I've even heard, you know, the um, machine fitters, even they say they would prefer the female drivers because they're more gentle on the machines. There's less maintenance required on the machines. That's right. We're a bit easier on the gear, although I have come across some women that are trying to, you know, give it to it. Oh, <laughs> I was yes. like, really? Yes. Slow down, lady. <laughs> we still get some of them are just as good as the boys. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, and it's... Um, I've found we te- we care, you know, you know, I don't know if it's the mothers in us or what, but I like to keep the machine nice and a bit clean. You know, you're going to sit in that truck for a few hours at a time. Some of them you get in, they're feral. They've, I don't know if it's like that where you are, but they've left magazines everywhere and when was the last time anyone cleaned this place up, you know? 
But oh, yeah, I find that can come from both genders because I can tell you two guys that I work with are so super clean. They are clean freaks. <laughs> Every time you hop into their truck, it is spotless. And then I've known girls to leave trucks in a right mess. Ah, oh, right. Oh, that's that's interesting to hear. Depends on your personal values as a cleaning person. Mm. I know they'll they'll stand up at a pre-start or a toolbox meeting and say, oh, you know, housekeeping has come up again because the other crew will complain about the state of the crew part or the machines or whatever. And they say, you wouldn't live like that at home. And every time I hear that, I think, but there are some people that would. Some people that are just disgusting at home. So why are they going to have a clean truck or digger or anything, you know, or care about what the crew part looks like for the next crew if they're just feral pigs at home anyway and <laughs> mum cleans it all up or, <laughs> or the wife or the or the husband, you know, whatever. I look at my mum and dad. Mum will leave the dishes in the sink. Dad can't stand it. He'll eventually go and wash them all. So, you know. Ah, and she knows that if she leaves them long enough, he'll do it. <laughs> that's right. She's clever. <laughs> Gee, Jade, oh, I'm, I'm going to take that one. No, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> oh, dear. So um, I guess the next thing that I want to bring up is a big change or a big experience that you went through, and I feel like I went through it with you because you reached out to me. We'd become a bit closer by then and you reached out and said you were planning on going on a holiday and would I mind being the administrator of your Facebook page while you're away for five weeks I believe and I said oh again little running dance in the kitchen Lisa's asked me to help her out this is awesome and I get to interact with your tribe and it was really good I, I I had a ball I learned so much and it inspired me just just to keep going with all my messages and everything. And then uh, I knew that you were off meditating with the monks somewhere or other and it turned out that where you were was where there was a big, massive earthquake and then I didn't hear from you for over a week and I was still doing dump truck discovery but I didn't let on that I don't know where Lisa is and if she's okay and what do I do, how do I, who do I even contact to find if she's all right and eventually, obviously, I found out that you, that you were okay but I know that this has had a big massive shift in everything about you. Would you like to tell us that story? Yes, so this was a big earthquake in Nepal, April last year, April 25th. 11.56am, see, I can still remember time and date. Um, yes. Get it? <laughs> um, big, massive shift. Um, I did not know the earth could shake that much. You know, I've been in little tremors in Perth and Chile and Japan and, you know, they last 10, 15 seconds and it's over, it's done. But to feel the shaking that I felt of a 7.8 magnitude that went on for two minutes. Um, it felt like 10. I, I was sure 10 minutes had passed, but, you know, everything goes in slow motion. Um, yeah, it, of course it's going to change you. It's not an experience that you have every day. And it literally does shake your brain around a bit. 
Um, so happy that I survived, so happy where I was, that I wasn't in any immediate danger. So fortunate that I chose to be at a yoga retreat with wide open spaces and no tall buildings around me. So that was the angels looking after you that day, Mark. Oh, I think so. I think <laughs> so. Um, so coming back from that, you know, it changes your perspective on life. You know, it made me realise that your life can be taken away from you at any time without notice. So that made me sit back and think, am I doing what I want to do in life? Um, I had to go through the period of shock. I came home for four weeks. I stayed home for four weeks because I came home with shingles, so that's how much stress it caused me. That's right. Um, finally got over the shingles and I went back to work and that's when I fell into shock because when I walked into work, the, what went through my mind was, do I really want to be here? Is this, the, is this what I want? 12-hour shifts, seven shifts straight. Um, so it started changing my way of thinking. And so whilst I did initially follow my passion when I got into mining because I was so super excited and that's where I wanted to be, it felt right. But now 11 years on, it no longer feels right. So the earthquake made me acknowledge that perhaps it's time for me to move on to the next phase of my life. It served its purpose. I purchased a house. I purchased two properties. Both mortgages are now paid off. So mining has served its purpose. I now need something more. And so that's what I've been thinking over the last 18 months. What do I want to do next? And to go for it. Just like I went, when I got the idea in my head I wanted to drive trucks, I went for it. Even though it took me three years, I kept going. <laughs> so I am now excited about going into a new phase in my life. Yeah. And when you did go back to work, if I recall, did the supervisor or uh, your workplace ask you to do a bit of a talk to the crew? Ah, uh, yes, they did. It was one of the um, one of my friends actually in the processing plant. He asked me if I wanted to, you know, no pressure, if I wanted to have a talk about the experience, and. My initial thought was, oh, no, 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 I don't think I can. I think I'll cry because every time I talked one a little bit about it to my, to my workmates, I would have tears in my eyes. And I um, went back to my room that night and lo and behold, what downloaded into my head was a whole speech. The whole spiel came to me of what I would say. Wow. And I related it back to mining. So the next day I caught up with him and I said, yes, I will do it. Um, so I spoke to a group in the processing plant where everybody was so still and their eyes were just staring at me and I had a few photos of mine to show on a PowerPoint. And, and I got claps at the end and people approaching me saying, thank you for sharing that with us, that's just... Put into you've just made us realize that we've got to put our life into perspective we forget about that we you know we start worrying about the little things when we shouldn't be 
I was um, petrified in that first talk. My hands were shaking because I thought, <laughs> what am I going to do if I start crying? Um, but I did get through it without one tear, which was really good. And then what happened after that was I got another six bookings. <laughs> six, wow. six other departments heard about my talk and wanted me to come and talk to their crew, their team. And with each talk, I got uh, more relaxed and I was able to speak better and I stopped shaking. And what happened in the end for me was it became therapeutic for me. It helped me deal with my, my emotions, with what I experienced. So it was a big part of the healing process for you. Absolutely. Not only at the same time helping people put their life into perspective and making them realise some of the things that they think and, and say are not so important. Um, at the same time, it was healing me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good on you for doing that. That must have been um, my palms are sweating just thinking about mm. it. <laughs> but I can imagine that, well, I knew we had spoken a couple of times and I knew that you felt there was a reason and there was a mess, there was something powerful was going on. Yes. And um, when you told me that you'd spoken to the crew, I thought that's awesome, that's that's exactly what what you needed to get out the the feelings that you were having about. Can you tell us how you related it to mining? Uh, yes, um, I even wrote a blog about it too. So um, if people wanted to read more about it, there is a blog on my dump truck discovery website. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Madmumsy.com forward slash beers fifteen. Yes, what I did was I was able to point out things that I did and didn't do that I had learnt from um, our safety meetings from being in mining. And now, straight after when the earthquake stopped, um, there was me and this other girl who decided to run into the yoga room to go and get some mats and blankets because we didn't know what was going to happen after this. None of us had been in an earthquake before. And we ran into this building ever so quickly before the next aftershock came. And it wasn't until the end of the day when we went and inspected all the buildings, when we went to the other side of the building, the wall had broken away from the roof and it was on a slant five centimetres. Oh. That roof could have caved in any time. And I sat there and I thought, how many times in mining have we been told inspect first before you do? You know, we have these little booklets that we have to tick off our inspections, you know, take fives, um, good to goes, whatever we call them. Each mine site calls them something different. Yeah. I didn't do an inspection. I just thought, got to get blankets, got to get mats. We'll need something to keep warm for the night. Um, but then I also did something that's so ingrained in, I didn't realise was so ingrained in me. In the evening when we were going to retire in our tents to, to sleep, we had been sitting in the middle of the garden and so everybody just got up, left all the blankets and mats in the middle of the garden and started walking to their tents. And something inside of me, I don't know what, just made everybody stop and I called everyone back and I said, no, 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 this is not right. Collect all your blankets, fold them up, collect all the mats, let's put them here under the gazebo where they'll be protected from rain just in case it rains. 
I looked at the owner and I said, do you have any spare flashlights? He came back with a big lantern and spare batteries and a big four-litre bottle of water. It was like we put a little um, survival pack in the um, underneath this little gazebo. Yeah. And I said to everybody, right, now go to your tents. If we get an earthquake in the middle of the night, Everybody, get out of your tents and we're going to meet in this spot right next to the gazebo. Do we all agree? And they all said yes. And then I felt fine. It wasn't until I was home for three months when I realised what I did. And people in mining will understand this more. I created a muster point. Yeah, an emergency muster point. That's what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. We have this in mining. If there's an emergency, we've got muster points where we all go and congregate, tick our names off the list, etc. And I did it naturally without even thinking. So And yeah. stepped up as a leader to the group as well. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a few other little things too that I have learnt from being safety conscious in mining. I brought it with me in an, an experience that I've never experienced before. Well, thanks for sharing all that with us, Lisa. I know that it was um, a tough time and you've been back since, is that right? Uh, no, I went back to India just this year in um, April and I went up to northern India, which is at the foothills of the Himalayas. So he's still on the fault line, like what possessed me. Um, <laughs> but when I got there and saw the mountains at the foothills, um, I still felt calm and ease. It was the energy was just amazing from the Himalayas. And funnily enough, there was another earthquake, um, the one that happened in Afghanistan. <laughs> so it was just across the border, really. Wow. And northern India felt aftershocks. Thankfully, the area I was in was supposed to have felt aftershocks, but I never felt them. So thankfully, I hadn't, because I don't know how I would have reacted. Maybe I would have been calm, maybe I would have been in shock again, I don't know. But so I was close. I don't know if I'm an earthquake magnet either, so. <laughs> no, we don't want to call you that. <laughs> no earthquake magnets allowed. <laughs> so looking onto the other side of that, the future, uh, what do you think your next steps are? Mm. Um, it dawned on me that here I am, I've got a website, Dump Truck Discovery, where I'm helping people get into mining where their main motivator is money. Some, maybe some people have got themselves in a situation that they need more money, maybe um, a relationship is separated, so now they have to provide for children. Maybe the debts have got too much and they don't want to lose their house. And so their main motivation is money. And here I am in this industry and I'm trying to get out now. So I'm helping people get in for money, but I'm trying to get myself out. But for me to get out, I still have to be able to make money. And for me, the way of the future is basically the internet. That's the new economy for me. Um, me too. <laughs> yeah, where I can work my own hours. I can take time off when... I want to not have a supervisor tell me you can or cannot have leave. I can spend time with my family when I want to, not be away for seven days um, or 14 days if you're on a two-on-one roster. 
So I want the freedom now, but also have the money. So my, my next projects are about making a passive income on the internet. And I'm going to ask, well, I'm going to invite people, even um, family, friends, people from Dump Truck Discovery Tribe who want to follow the journey to, to please do so because maybe there might be some inspiration in there for them to also make money on the internet. If they're finding it difficult to get into mining, try the internet. There's so many different ways. Mining is not the only way to make money. So I'd, I'd like people to join me on this journey and hopefully I can inspire people to do the same. And with my successes, I'll help people succeed as well in on the internet. I think that's such a great idea and it's kind of bringing it all full circle, isn't it? You know, like you wanted to get into the mines, you've got into the mines, you've bought two houses, you've paid them off, you've been there for over 11 years, you've trained other people, you've helped other people, you went overseas, you had the big earthquake experience which made you look at your life in a whole new light and you've come out of it wanting wanting freedom but also wanting money, which <laughs> when you get down to the tin tax of what most people want, that's it. Yeah. The, the money to be able to live a free life, however you perceive that. And to start looking, that's awesome and that, that's the journey that I am also on. And I think it's a big part of getting into mining is also ha planning your escape on your terms when you're ready to and still have your relationships and your sanity intact yeah. <laughs> and your finances, you know. And um, I, think that, I think that's a great idea. So how can people follow along with that journey? Have you, are you setting anything uh, separate up? I will set something. I haven't got anything set up separately just yet because I'm waiting for the name to come to me. I haven't come up with the name. That'll come next week when you're driving up the ramp in your truck. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, we'll be advising everybody on my Facebook page on Dumb Truck Discovery. Um, that will still stay open because obviously I enjoy helping people. So this new tangent that I'm going on is not just about making money. It's about helping people. So the new business I'm going to create is still going to be about helping people. If you can help people with the knowledge and skills that you have, I think that's more important to focus on rather than focusing on the money. I totally agree 100%. And I'll um, leave a link to your future self <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I can go back and add it on. And who knows, it might be there before this episode is released because I'm actually a couple in front. Woohoo! Oh, great! <laughs> I think the other set up by then as well. Yes. Well, that, there's a goal for you. There's a little bit of a push. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's put that first on my list. <laughs> yes, up the list on the master list. Um, yeah. Just let me know whether it's a Facebook page or a Facebook group or a website. You know, depending whatever path you choose or all three. Let us let me know, and I'll definitely share it with the beers with a minor tribe and mad mumsy's tribe oh thank you oh i think um that might be a good place to finish unless is there anything else that you wanted to share with us any other message that you wanted to get across 
Oh, all I'd like to see is for people to be really happy in what they're doing. So if you've got a passion for mining, go for it. Do not give up. I just had one guy send me a message, so excited. He'd been up north in the Pilbara driving a bus for five years and he's finally got onto a dump truck training program. And he just says, Lisa, he just goes, tell everybody there at Dump Truck Discovery, don't give up, he says, because I never gave up. It took me five years, but I did it. So that just shows patience and persistence will lead to success in whatever you want to achieve. And that's what I wish for everyone. That's a fantastic message. Thank you so much, Lisa. There's just one thing that because we took off and got on a roll, I didn't ask you the most important question. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, I don't know if you thought you got away with it or not, but it's sitting right here looking at me. (laughs) So this podcast is called Beers with a Miner, and I like to start or sometimes end these happy hour episodes with my guests sharing their favourite beverage and also their favourite time to enjoy it. It could be a beer, a wine, a spirit, or perhaps even a cup of tea. I'm thinking Lisa would be green tea kind of girl. What is yours, Lisa? I do love herbal teas in the wintertime, but if I had to choose my favourite, it's a good red wine. Shiraz in particular, and I love to drink it when I'm eating a delicious meal. Yeah, that sounds nice. And there's a lot of good wineries over your way, is there? Yes, down in Margaret River and Denmark Way, we've got a lot of good wineries to choose from. So uh, with friends, we try different bottles every week and we still haven't gone through the whole range that's available to us in WA. There's just so many to choose from. Wow, I I grew up in South Australia and uh, we used to go to the Barossa Valley all the time. Mainly I was a child, so I didn't get to do the wine tasting. <laughs> but did do you ever go down to the wineries and do the wine tasting? Yes, still do, yep. Yeah. Um, each time I go down to Margaret River, there'll be at least five new wineries that have opened up. So wow. it's big business down there. And, and they're kind of being – new ones are open are becoming smaller and smaller. They're more like boutique wines, and so the specialties and – and they're putting a lot of care and love in their winemaking and we're getting some some really nice bottles of wine out of that, that region. Oh, that's fantastic to see other things, you know, tourism when when there's a downturn in mining that's saving the country. You know, everyone else has to step up too and it's really good to see things like um, uh, our agriculture. Up here we've got a strawberry farm. And they've opened up now and you go and pick your own and they've got a cafe with Devonshire teas and scones and they sell their strawberries on the highway and there's a lot more push here in Queensland for homegrown and and the same with wineries. I think we've even got a few wineries, not so much up here. It's a bit hot. Yeah. But um, I'll leave a link to the Margaret River area if anyone's interested when you go over to WA. I'm, I am planning to get over there my sister lives over there in Mandurah so I really have to get over there again soon and we will definitely catch up Lisa perhaps you can take me to your favorite winery and we'll share one of those red wines together over a lovely meal you give me a buzz when you get here and I'll be there at your doorstep straight away (laughs) oh sounds awesome 
It's time to say goodbye now. We could chat all day, and I have been known to. <laughs> all the links we discussed in this episode are at madmumsy.com forward slash beers 15. That's the number 15. And it's Mad Mumsy with a Z or a Z, depending where you're from. I would love you to please leave a rating and review on iTunes so more people can hear about the Beers with a Minor podcast. Head to madmumsy.com forward slash iTunes to find the subscribe link. And please, share with your mates. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week, stay safe, be real, be special and have fun. For as Lisa says, we only live once. Cheers. Cheers.